The European Union has not treated us well. Stupid European elites jumping off the cliffs once again. Yes, you are the guilty people and you refuse to accept it. This is EU Scream, the progressive politics podcast from Brussels. I'm James, a journalist who's crisscrossed Europe for 15 years now, covering politics and the economy. I'm Tom. I've been a lobbyist and spin doctor in Brussels for many years, and I've spent the last decade fighting climate change. This episode of EU Scream first aired a couple of weeks ago, amid expectations that Europe's conservatives would expel Prime Minister Viktor Orban of Hungary and his Fidesz party for violating rule of law standards and for insulting EU leaders. Last week, we got the news the European conservatives had decided on a mere suspension. A decision made apparently in full agreement with Orban himself. It was a pragmatic and craven move. It was designed to help the conservatives remain the strongest political group in the European Parliament by keeping the door open to Orban and Fidesz rejoining the conservatives after European elections in May. Here is Orban speaking last week after agreeing to the suspension. Listen how journalists laugh at Orban for making the patently absurd claim that a Hungarian government campaign in which European Commission President Jean-Claude Juncker is portrayed flooding Hungary with migrants was not actually targeted at Juncker. We never had any campaign against Juncker. I have my own opinion. (laughs) I have my own opinion on him. The information campaign is over. That was one of the requests and not to continue that kind of information campaign. As well as doing some post-truth politicking, Orban also maintained his belligerence against migrants and against the European Commission for seeking to balance border security with a humanitarian approach. Despite the opinion of the left and liberals here, migration is something which is stoppable if there is political leadership which the proper wish... It's against this background that we are repeating our earlier show with stories and analysis from three people smeared by Orban and Fidesz. Their experiences highlight how democracy in Europe and how compassion towards migrants continue to be threatened by Orban's populist and illiberal policies. First, we have more voicemail, this time on my Italian pronunciation, after earlier tips from listeners on my French and my Hungarian. Lara here, EU screen pianist and loyal listener. I did feel it would be helpful to correct the Italian pronunciation of the hams and cheeses in your Trade Storms episode, so here we go. Parma, Modena, Toscano, San Daniele, and for the cheeses... Taleggio, provolone, pecorino romano e toscano, parmigiano, mozzarella di bufala, grana padano, gorgonzola, fontina, anasiago. Arrivederci! Reporting about Europe in English can be a tongue twister. So listener, please message us with your feedback anytime. Our first guest, Marta Pardavi, is another person who reached out with advice on pronunciation. She contacted us from Hungary 
to let me know I was bungling the word Fides, the name of Viktor Orban's political party. The word ends in an S and Z, and that makes it tempting to pronounce as Fidesz. But that is incorrect. Oh, <laughs> thank you for inviting me. I, I actually hate the idea that this is the only way to, to, get, to get in. But uh, I, it's not your pronunciation. You did a very consistent job and everybody gets it wrong. But on this particular issue, on the SZ pronunciation, it's very easy. We do it exactly the other way as the Poles. So we use an S for that. So Fides, the name of the party, actually has a very good meaning originally. It's the Latin word for loyalty. But of course, it was also meant, it's a shortened version of the Young Democrats Alliance, which was the original name of that party. And Oned Bus, same way, SZ is pronounced as an S. Bus. As it happens, Pardavi is co-chair of the Hungarian Helsinki Committee, which is a human rights group based in Budapest, and which is among the most prominent targets of Viktor Orban's crackdowns on Hungarian civil society. Last year, Pardavi was honored for her courage and work with the annual Human Rights First Award in New York. Given her renown and her frontline experience, we took the opportunity to discuss a good deal more than phonemes and digraphs. What really came through in our discussion was the extent to which Orban's regime has been employing tactics that add up to the kind of political and psychological warfare reminiscent of how societies operate under full authoritarianism. As we'll hear from others in this episode, the effect of that warfare is being felt far beyond Hungary, and it could serve as a model for other would-be strongmen and wannabe autocrats. I first asked her why the government in Budapest had an interest in describing Hungarian as such a difficult language. Well, it is partly true that the language itself is not the most simple, but I know plenty of non-Hungarian speakers who've turned into very good Hungarian speakers. It's not that mysterious. It's not that impossible at all. The reason I think the government uses this as one of its standard lines to take when there's discussions about what's going on in Hungary and how come things are turning toward that sort of bleak direction in Hungary is because they don't want to engage on the substance. So isn't that easier to say, well, no one understands us. You are getting us wrong, rather than to actually try to explain the inexplicable at times. To what extent has the Hungarian Helsinki Committee's work made it a target of smear campaigns? The Hungarian Helsinki Committee is a large human rights organization in Hungary, relatively speaking, because the Hungarian human rights NGO sector is not large. We have worked on refugee protection issues since the mid-90s. So it's one of our core activities we've always felt very strongly about. And when 2015 and the many, many people arriving to Hungary suddenly became the number one news and political agenda item, we, of course, continued to make this point that refugees need protection. You need to have a humane and efficient set of procedures and reception conditions to deal with this issue. For making this point, we became the really very much targeted by the Hungarian government. Smeared campaigns in the media, like in April 
2018, there was a pro-government weekly that had an article saying these are the Shorosh mercenaries, essentially listed 200 names of people working at NGOs, all of our staff, every single person from finance officer to, to director was listed there. And many other organizations had the same thing happen to them. How else is the Hungarian government putting a squeeze on civil society? There's also legislation that has been enacted that is very reminiscent of what has been happening to Russian human rights NGOs. Foreign-funded NGOs are required to label themselves in public and to register in separate lists, produce far more documents. There is also now legislation that taxes, puts a 25% tax on what the Hungarian government labels promoting migration in public. So if somebody wants to fund a civil society organization's activity that is deemed to be promoting migration, not illegal, but migration in the public domain, then that organization should pay 25% of its donation in tax, which is, you know, certainly sends out a chilling effect to donors and, and to society. How effective are the Hungarian government's smear campaigns at discrediting groups like yours? A lot of times the smear campaigns actually boost support. They show us and to a lot of people in society that they must be doing something right, these NGOs, if if the government is after them. And we've seen how public support, both expressed in you know general messages, but also in, in financial donations, has been going up. So it's a, it's a weird scenario where this anti-civil society campaign has meant that smaller organizations are facing a lot of issues and a, a, a very grave difficulties. And large organizations like the Helsinki Committee, we have 35 staff. We've been able to divert a part of our resources, mostly human resources, to addressing this issue. And we continue to do what we've always done providing legal assistance, doing advocacy, taking cases to Hungarian courts, taking people's cases to the European Court of Human Rights or even to the Court of Justice. Our next speaker, Peter Kreko, is a social psychologist and political scientist and the executive director of Political Capital, a research institute and consultancy in Budapest. He's the author of a book on the Hungarian far right and another on fake news and conspiracy theories. And he is affiliated with Johns Hopkins in Bologna. I first asked him what kind of personal smears he had experienced. Uh, early this year, there was a rather concentrated attack uh, on me personally, which was rather new. So far, my organization has received quite a lot of criticism from governmental and pro-governmental sources, but uh, the new thing was that it, it came personally against me. And uh, I was agent of George Soros, agent of the United States, and agent of the British intelligence services at the same time. So I'm James Bond only in one-third of my jobs, which is funny on the one hand. On the other hand, it's pretty brutal logic. What's the effect of these personal attacks on your work and on your psyche? Why personal attacks? 
they want to achieve that you get distracted from your work first, second, you get emotional, third, you enter into the political game, and then you have to calm yourself down to say that, no, this is their, this is what they want to achieve, so I want them won't do them this favor and you continue the work what, what you're doing but if you feel that your organization is, is under a constant threat then of course you close yourself in a siege mentality and that's that's really the game a strange element uh, in the attacks I received is that a lot of people who wrote the articles I know them I know them uh, for a long time because there was a time when they were as well political scientists who had a respect towards their profession, but it's not the case anymore. So uh, nature of the regime like this is that it turns people who lived a totally, let's say, normal uh, life and were quite modest in a lot of sense, if they are becoming part of the regime, then they have to show that they are loyal to the principles and they can do the attacks if, if possible. So that's, that's even when it, when it uh, uh, changes the interpersonal relationship uh, between people. What is your relationship like with these people now? Did you call or send an email saying, what the hell? No, I, I just... Uh, I, ju uh, I just started the legal procedures for defamation. These articles appeared in newspapers, yeah. So that's, <laughs> that's the way how it is. Where is the kind of disinformation that was used against you actually coming from? Inside Hungary? Foreign sources? There is a, an, an ironic element of that. Russia today, the Kremlin financed propaganda channel, wanted to open a branch in Hungary. Finally, they abandoned the idea. Why? Because they don't have to. Because the public media and the pro-governmental media is spreading the same kind of conspiracy theories and disinformation that the Kremlin likes to spread, and it doesn't cost any money. These narratives that claim that, for example, we are British and American spies, they are coming from GRU hacks, from uh, non-existing documents that were released practically by the proxies of, of the Russian secret services. And these tools are used against us. And in a NATO and EU member country, I do think that the authorities would rather support organizations such as ours that are fighting against disinformation and malevolent uh, foreign influence and not uh, targeting the organizations that want to want to fight against this threat. The European Commission is supposed to be the guardian of the EU treaties. Has it been tough enough with Orban as the situation worsened? In the last eight years, nine years, there have been no concentrated effort to debunk all the fake news and conspiracy theories that the government spread about uh, Brussels. And, of course, I know it's difficult. I know that uh, the role of the commission and its representation is usually to represent the highest possible level of neutrality. But I think, I think the institutions of the European Union should show some signs of survival instinct. I mean, they, if they are under this concentrated attack, I think they should respond. And I think this, this false understanding of neutrality and, and uh, 
let's say, being afraid of getting into conflicts, which I think is the general logic of, of anything that is uh, connected to the European Commission. Why I, I do think that, that in a conflict situation like this, this is simply a luxury that, that no one really can afford. For example, in, in another century, uh, Eastern European countries, there is representative of, of a, a European Commission office who went publicly on debates with, with Eurosceptic politicians, and I think it should be done in Hungary as well. Our next speaker is Judith Sargentini, a member of the European Parliament from the Netherlands. As a left-leaning vegetarian Green who is active on LGBT rights, she already represents many of the things that Orban and other illiberals disdain. Then, last year, Sargentini took the lead role in writing a damning report on the erosion of democracy in Hungary. Her report was approved in September by an overwhelming majority of the parliament, marking the first time the legislature had voted to start proceedings against a member state for systematically threatening the union's founding values. The report also made Sargentini one of the prime foreign targets for the Hungarian government's smear campaigns. She now warns that the ferocity and the sophistication of those campaigns could have damaging implications for the defense of democracy in Europe. My fear is that in the future, with another report on another difficult member state or another topic, other member states might have learned the trick. You can intimidate members of parliament to refrain from being critical. Who would pick up a report like this in the future? I can't travel to Hungary. I'm being recognized everywhere. Uh, And very often on a very friendly way, Hungarians all over Europe come to tell me that they're very happy with what I did, but there might be a crazy person that believes all the hatred that their government is putting forward on me that could do something. When were the attacks and what form did they take? It started January 2018 when I visited Hungary for the research for my report and then after I published after their elections because I thought not a healthy idea to do that before their elections because they will use it for their campaign. It, it got worse and then in September after the vote in plenary where we got a two-third majority it really took off in Hungary with a campaign. I have it here if you like. I can, I've got a couple of those here. This is uh, one of the newspapers. They run ads like this where you can see myself, uh, the liberal leader Guy Verhofstadt, and in the middle you see George Soros, who, as we all know, is not a member of the European Parliament. It's Hungarian and it says something about Brussels being uh, uh, forcing migrants upon us and, uh, and needs to protect yourself against Brussels. What I now see, which is new, is that the Hungarian government starts to communicate more and more in English, also targeting particularly Belgian and Dutch citizens. Which I find that interesting. I gave a, um, There was a demonstration for Hungarian diaspora here at uh, Rampont Schumann on a Monday in the rain, 5 o'clock, 200 people, really small. And I was asked to also say something, which I did. And then 
when I was about to do that, there was a tweet going out from the Minister for Information in Hungary. Get out the popcorn. Sargentini is speaking with a whole blog behind it that they prepped about me. But what I found interesting is that it's a sponsored tweet and it was paid for to be seen in timelines of citizens in Belgium and the Netherlands. So they are not only trying to use me uh, in their own national campaigns to gear up the vote for Fidesz, but they're now reaching out to uh, uh, people that are sensitive to extreme right populist voices elsewhere in Europe. Has anyone from the European People's Party that counts Orban as a member and is the largest group in the European Parliament ever told Budapest to knock off the attacks? They could have. Now, maybe in between brackets they have, but never publicly. And, um, and, and it's not stopping. On the contrary, they're now picking on their own people with Mr. Juncker uh, as the new figurehead. Um, and again here, this is how, how the Hungarian government works. Nobody called them back on the smear campaign about me. So then you can go after the European Commission. There is the leader of this house, uh, Mr. Tajani, the president of the European Parliament, who is from the Italian Forza Italia of Berlusconi, who actually on the morning of the vote in September gave a press conference in Italy saying that he would advise his Forza people not to vote for my report, that he would himself not vote because he never does as chair of the parliament, but he would advise to vote against because this was unfair. Why are we not doing this for Slovakia and Malta, but we're actually also taking action for those countries? He argued later that he never gave that conference as the chair or as the president of this house, but as the vice chair or the vice president of Forza Italia. I'm, I'm trying to bring the point that this attack on me is an attack on the institution, which is dangerous. Uh, it's a national government of a member state of the union attacking a democratic institution at the European Parliament. So don't see this as a thing against me alone, but, but be a president of the House and protect the integrity of the House, is my request to Tajani. He, well, he's too much friends with Orban and Berlusconi is too much friends with Orban to do so. Last month, Brussels officialdom finally tried to punch back at Viktor Orban and at his smear campaigns. But it only did so after Budapest used posters to portray Jean-Claude Juncker, the president of the European Commission, as plotting with George Soros to flood Hungary with migrants. The Commission said the Hungarian campaign distorts the truth and seeks to paint a dark picture of a secret plot to drive more migration to Europe. And then the Commission sought to quash the Hungarian claims point by point. Fifth, EU aid does not encourage migration, but only assists refugees already in Greece. And this is with regards to the so-called prepaid debit cards. Sixth, it is member states... Human rights groups in Brussels and on the ground in Hungary were far from convinced. We conclude this episode by returning to our first speaker, Marta Pardavi of the Hungarian Helsinki Committee. She says that autocrats like Orban set a trap that those who attempt rebuttals easily fall into, repeating the lies. 
In a way, this is the trap that is very hard to avoid when there is a very strong push from the Hungarian government, very strong narrative, a very strong framing. It's it's really, really difficult to avoid repeating that framing because you do want to refute the lies and you do need to put the facts out. So it's easy for Mr. Orban and his government to say, we don't want any migrants. But if you want to actually give a real answer, I don't think you can do that in one sentence that can fit on a billboard. And that's the main challenge. Even if Brussels officials were able to outdo themselves and come up with a brilliantly concise and punchy comeback to Orban, Pardavi says there still would be huge obstacles to getting that message across to large numbers of ordinary Hungarians. There would be practical obstacles to this because advertising space, public advertising space, such as billboards, are also heavily controlled by the, by the same oligarchs. So it's really difficult to to get out any sort of public issue messaging or political messaging nowadays in Hungary. And this is something that in election campaigns, the non-Fides parties, those that want to compete, have great difficulties with because there's legislation in place that makes it very difficult and very costly to have access to this kind of street billboard advertising. So I don't know who the commission would be able to buy it from, actually, even if they had the posters produced. Our vision is a Europe which has 27 faces at the same time. Are you high right now? 27 faces at the same time. The truth is that Europe has been made successful by socialists, liberals and greens and Karl Marx and the liberal media. (laughs) That's EU Scream for this week. You can check our website at euscream.com for links to topics discussed in the show and for more episodes. Please rate us on iTunes, tweet about us at EU Screams, and like us on Facebook. EU Scream is edited and mixed by me, James Cantor. Tom Brooks and I produce the show. Laura Natali plays our piano. Thanks for listening. <laughs>